0: Amen, Matthew chapter number 16, we'll dismiss the children, Matthew chapter 16, grateful for that song, grateful for the truth behind that song, that um, faith, faith is not the answer Jesus is, but faith is what accesses him, because faith says I can't, but God can, and it puts the dependence upon Christ, and Christ moves when you put your trust in him. Sometimes we may exercise a consent in our mind. We believe God, but we're not believing God. And Sometimes God will put us in a situation that exposes whether or not we're really trusting the Lord. Kind of like the Red Sea before the people, the army coming to kill them behind them and no place to turn. Sometimes you don't realize God is all you need until you find yourself in a place where God is all you have. And so faith, faith is God's recipe to get a hold of God. And I'm glad that God doesn't make us, He doesn't force us, but He will put you in a place at times to make you willing. And um, He'll get you to a place to help you see this is probably a good idea that you trust Him. And I'm glad for that. Matthew 16, let's stand together. I want to preach a few messages Not all this morning, but over spread out about the church. And um, this is not necessarily one of these kinds of messages. Maybe a feel good, um, something I can do with today, but it would fall under doctrine and doctrine is pretty important. Because uh, everything that we do out of uh, the the concept of the Christian life comes out of doctrine. and, And it's helpful that we get that. And I want us to look at some doctrine concerning the church. You talk to somebody about getting saved and you'll find that there are people who have all kinds of different thoughts about how to get saved. And there are religions all over the world. And every religion has a different way of getting saved. That's why there are different religions. But the same is true when it comes to the church. There are people who are saved and they have all kinds of notions about the church. What it's about and how it works and who's it for. And, but I think the, the answer to the way of salvation is where we find the answer to the work and way of the church. And so we need to always come at it from what does God say about it and what is God's will concerning that. Matthew chapter 16, familiar verses, verse 17 and 18. And Jesus answered and said unto him, that is, Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, referring to himself, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said that he would build his church. I want to preach this morning in looking at the matter of the church, the ownership of the church, the ownership of the church. You say, is that really that significant? It is because I think a lot of the reasons people live the way they live is because they don't really see Christ as being the owner of his church. And if you're not convinced of that, not in your theory, but just convinced in your practice, you're going to live your life as though you are part owner, if not full owner of your life. But Paul says, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. But just as we are not our own, the church is not our own. It does belong to God. And I want us to look at that. The ownership of the church. Thank you. Please be seated. I'm thankful for the role of the church in my life. I'm glad for having been taught The significance of the church, I was saved in a church, baptized shortly thereafter, called to preach in a church, met my wife in church. And I found Christianity is life to be lived through the church. The word church is found 114 times in the New Testament, the word ecclesia that we get church from. It simply means fellowship. It's a called out assembly. 114 times. And it refers to a local group of fellowship, a local fellowship of baptized believers who come together committed to God for the purpose of fulfilling the great commission. And 114 of these times we see in the New Testament, it, it's, it's a... It, It's not a difficult concept, but because there has been those that have made this somewhat mystical and they've made it then a mystery, the mystery of the church is not referring to what it is. It's referring to those who were not aware of it at the time because until Jesus came on the scene, the church was unknown. But when Christ came on the scene founded the church, it is always a local body of believers. It's a local group. It's, a, it's not some universal concept. When I got saved, I became part of Christianity. That's universal. But we don't have a pastor of Christianity. We don't have deacons of Christianity. We don't take up tithes and offerings of Christianity. We're not counting Christianity's tithes and offerings today. We're not having uh, a fellowship after a service for all of Christianity. It's this local church. It's this local assembly. And everywhere the Apostle Paul went, people were one to the Lord. He established local churches. New Testament is filled with letters to local churches. Churches in Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica. And the Lord addressed seven local churches in Revelation 2 and 3, the churches that we know to be in Asia Minor. So great emphasis is placed in the New Testament on attending, joining, being involved in a local church. There are a couple of misconceptions about church membership. One is that you join a church, but it makes you a Christian because you join. Well, joining a church doesn't make you a Christian. Being a member of a local church does not make you a child of God. You can be on the church role as a member and possibly not even be saved. And so a membership in a church doesn't make you saved. Having your name in the Lamb's book of life is what makes you saved. So a misconception is, well, I'm a part of a church, therefore I'm on my way to heaven. Mentioned this morning in the teachers meeting that Jesus, his group, his followers, his school, his church that he founded with those disciples had a lost man a part of it, Judas Iscariot. He was actually in the church of Jesus, the school of Jesus, and he died and went to hell because he was content with being a part of that membership, but he wasn't a part of the, the, the salvation membership that was required to get him to heaven. If you're here in church It's not the same as coming to Jesus. You must make sure of your personal salvation. You must settle that and know for certainty. You can know, you should know, you ought to know. Another misconception is that God considers church membership only as an option rather than an essential. It's dangerous. It's just as dangerous as the previous misconception that you can join a church and therefore your salvation is taken care of. You'll miss heaven. You can go to hell with the wrong concept. But this one is dangerous because you'll miss out on the abundant life. You'll miss out on the the victory you need in your life. A lot of folks are confused about church. And the reason why some think it's option, I don't really have to be a part of church as long as I'm saved is because the wrong concept they have about church. And a lot of people have preconceived notions about what church is supposed to do, but many people don't know what the purpose and the function of a church actually is all about. It's kind of like I heard about the meeting where some deacons were recommending that the church buy a a chandelier because they need to replace their chandelier. And, and um, one guy stood up and said, I object to the church paying for this new chandelier. And the pastor said, well, state your reasons. And he said, well, there are three reasons I'm opposed to us buying a chandelier. He said, number one, it costs way too much money. Number two, not one of us here know how to play it and number three, the last thing we need is more music around here. We need more light. I've been a part of those conversations listening to people talk about the church. What it's about, what it's for. The word church, again, comes from that Greek word, ekklesia. It comes from two Greek words, out and to call. It's a called out company. It's a called out group of disciples Committed, committed to following the Lord. I've said it before recently and been saying it the last couple of weeks, is, it's just really been impressed upon my mind thinking about Jesus' way of soul winning, Jesus' approach to evangelizing. You know what Jesus said to people was, Follow me. That's, that's, all, that's what he said. In other words, he was saying to them, You need to get saved, follow me. What about after you get saved? That's taken care of and follow me. And when we follow the Lord, we don't get into these questions. Well, I got saved. Do I really need to do this? No, follow him. The one who saves you is the one who sanctifies you. The one who delivers you is the one who develops you. The one who uh, comes into your heart and life is the one who is to fill and to lead and to control you. Jesus just said, follow me. Now, church membership is an exclusive membership. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. In verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread and prayers. So it's an exclusive membership, it's not just for anybody who wants to be a part. There's a certain uh, criteria. They must have received the gospel. They must have put their faith and trust in Jesus. There must be a desire to follow the Bible. When a person joins, we give them a constitution bylaws. Here's what we believe about certain doctrines. But the constitution is not the Bible. The Bible's the Bible. We just put out here are certain questions about society and and current things. Here's what we believe the Bible teaches about this. You can be loyal to the Constitution because it only covers a few things and not have a loyalty to the Bible. And there's no way a person who got saved last week understands everything in the Bible this week. I don't understand everything in the Bible, but here's what I do understand. It is God's Word, thus saith the Lord, all of it's given by inspiration of God. And as long as my allegiance is to Him and whatever He says then I'll do okay. Because whatever he says, whatever he thinks, whatever he commands, whatever he promises, that is final. Amen. And so membership, there must be that willingness to follow. A New Testament church is an assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's word. It's an assembly of baptized believers organized to carry out the Lord's work. There's a great deal of criticism about the church, and if you want to be critical about it, I could take a long time with you because there's a lot of things that I recognize in churches that these are broken, these are not perfect. But I'll tell you, uh, there's a lot of marriages that look that way, and I'm still for God's institution of marriage. There's a lot of restaurants that look that way, and you still visit some of you too frequent restaurants and A New Testament church, I'm simply saying, is unique. It's the only institution on earth. It's the only institution on earth where, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, the temple of the Holy Spirit is, is, is God's dwelling place among the church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. As a child of God, He moves inside, but as the church of the living God, God's place of, of, of special dwelling is among the, the people of God when they assemble together two or more gather together in his name there's a, a special dwelling place of the spirit of God according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 the church is the only institution that has the scriptural authority to baptize and to observe the Lord's Supper God did not give the ordinances to Christianity He did not give the ordinances to Christianity. He gave it to the church. The church is the only scriptural authority to baptize and to administer the Lord's Supper. Number three, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, it's not my home. It's not my ministry. It's the church. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And that's why I think that if we're going to err in, on the side of, of things when it comes to how we conduct it, I want to err on the side of being more cautious, more strict, because this is the pillar and ground of truth. And that's why I'm not for, and I don't, I, I don't wear blue jeans to preach in. I don't take my tie off to preach in, because this is the pillar and ground of truth. You say, well, everybody else does it, but not everyone else started the pillar and ground of truth. And so what what God says about the truth is quite uh, significant. And the truth of the church is that it's the pillar and ground of truth. The church is the only institution that's the storehouse for God's money called the tithe in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. It's not the mission board. It's not a camp ministry. It's not a college It's the church. The church is, according to Mark 16 and Acts 1 and Acts 13, is God's evangelistic agency. It's God's evangelistic agency. It's not the mission board. It's not the college. It's not a camp. It's the church. The church is the only institution on earth that has the keys of the kingdom according to Matthew 16, verse 19. What does that mean? That means it's God's soul-winning agency. It's God's soul-winning agency. Are you with me? you ready for me to tick you off? It's just gonna show whether or not you agree with the Bible. Do you know that you don't have a right To pass out tracts and to try to win people to Jesus outside of the authority of the local church. You say, whoa, I've never heard that before. We'll get back to the big picture of the Bible. The gospel authority, the gospel in winning souls was for every creature, but it was not given to every creature. The keys were given to the church. Well, I thought they were given to the apostles. Then the, then the authority died off with the apostles. I thought they were given to every Christian. Then we don't have a Bible church. They were give, it was given to the church. It wasn't given to the pastor, not given to the apostles. It was not given to every Christian. See, the issue of the church, it goes back to the authority. Why did Jesus get baptized? He got baptized because he was submitting to the authority of the truth that was being presented and the truth that he said, I will build my church upon this rock, this truth. And Jesus demonstrated submission to that, to that agency of truth, that body of truth. And it's the church. So people, and there are people all, all the time who have told me, and especially in, in evangelistic revival meetings coming across people who say, I'm not a member of a church, but I'm the biggest soul winner you'll find in any place around here. Well, the, the, the agency for entrusting the gospel was given to the pillar and ground of truth called the church. The Lord Jesus in these verses gives us insight about the founding of the church. If you want to know something about an institution, look at the founder. And so the Lord talks about this to his disciples. Now notice what Jesus said in this statement in verse 18. Again, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. See, Jesus is the owner of the church. It's the church that Jesus built. It belongs to him. And we're going to look this morning at the ownership. We'll look at the origin and and outcome of it another time. But notice the ownership. Three things I want want to say about Jesus owning the church. Number one, Jesus is the head of his church. He's the head. Ephesians 1.22, And hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church. You see, Jesus is the head of the church. When we say Jesus is the head of the church, that helps us know where the life comes from. He's the source of life. Ephesians 1.23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Jesus is the head. We get life. The church gets its life from him. See, that makes the church an organism, not an organization. There's organization that takes place, but we're organizing because it's an organism. It's a body. It means that there's life to it. The church is alive. You see it. It's not a dead institution. It is a living body, and Jesus himself is the source of its life. That's why we pray to him. That's why we make an emphasis on prayer. That's why we worship him. That's why we're seeking him. That's why we're careful about this, because we need his life to be manifested. He's the head. Now, there's a lot of people today who have this hang up about loving Jesus, living for Jesus, but not really being connected to the church. And one man said to me, I love Jesus and, and I think as long as I'm saved and I love Jesus, that's all that matters. So I said, well, there's more to it because he's given us a whole book of other things that matter. And the man said, well, is it possible to be saved without belonging to a church? I said, well, yes. He said, see, I told you. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, if you care nothing about being part of a church where people get saved, we sing the praises of God, we learn the truths about God, we fellowship with the people of God, why would you want to go to heaven in the first place? See, I believe that there is great room to be suspect of your salvation experience if you don't want to have a follow through with that salvation experience of being a part of what Jesus says is himself. He's the head of what? Of this body. See, some have had bad experiences with church. Well, if you've been around long enough, who doesn't? Some have had bad experiences with marriage but it's still God's idea and it's a good idea. But understanding how the church works may help you from having some bad experiences and being able to navigate through bad experiences. If you really want to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to love his body, the church, and the church's source of life, which is Jesus Christ. You try telling your wife, you love her, but only her face. The rest of it, you can do without. And then you can set an appointment and we can work on marriage counseling after that. But a lot of people are saying, Lord Jesus, I just love the saving part, but the rest of it, I don't really give a rip. I want to tell you, you can set up an appointment we can get some get right with God meetings because you'll never be right with God until you get right with what God Says about His church and your place in it. Number two. Second thing about ownership of Christ over His church is that Jesus is the church's husband. He's the husband of the church. Ephesians 5, verse 23 through 25. In fact, let's go over there. Ephesians chapter 5. Some of you need to to let your fingers do the walking to wake you up. Ephesians 5. For the husband, verse 23, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Jesus is the church's head and husband. Because he's the husband, he's demonstrating here for us as husbands, the example to follow. And when we see Jesus as the husband of the church, we see this is the source of our love. We sang about God's love for us this morning, our love for him. According to that concept, (coughs) Jesus being the head, Jesus being the husband, as the head, he's the life source. As the husband, he's the love source. That this church Any church, New Testament, Bible believing, called out assembly of committed disciples ought to be one of the most loving places in the city or in the country. It ought ought to be the place where you find love more than any other place. If a church is owned by Jesus and if he's the husband of the church, then when you walk in the church, there ought to be an atmosphere of love. There at least ought to be the attitude that there ought to be some love. People ought to be able to come and find love. Usually, the ones who are complaining the most about there's no love here are the very ones that don't show love themselves. The world is starved for love. There are a lot of people who feel like nobody loves them, nobody cares. And there are people who say, Amen, that's right, that's why this place is so cold. But why don't you start loving? You've got a heart, you've got a brain. You do something with that mechanism that God has given to you. The reason why you don't love and you say we don't feel love is because maybe you're not connected to the one who's the head and the husband of the church. I want to tell you something. Jesus loves you. He really does. You know, one of the greatest things God ever did for you was demonstrate his love for you. My theology may not be deep, but it can be summarized in these words, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. That's wonderful that Jesus loves us. It's wonderful that he, he loves us because he owns the church, we have fellowship with People that he loves and loving people. Jesus is the owner of the church. And as the owner, he's the head and he's the husband. There's a third thought this morning. Jesus is the head of the church. That's the source of life. He's the husband of the church. That's the source of its love. But he's also the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of the church. That's the source of its leadership. In Ephesians 4, verse 15, it says, Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And that leads to the question that many will ask. Who runs the church? Well, Jesus is the Lord of the church. He's the one that is the, the head, the, the supreme head. He's the founder He's the the head, he's he's the husband, he's the Lord. So what about who actually runs it? Well, let's answer that. Number one, it's not the pastor. Lots of preachers think they run the church and the Bible does say that the pastor is the spiritual leader of the church, but the pastor doesn't run the church. I don't run the church. You see, if I ran the church, that would make a church a monarchy. So the preacher doesn't run the church. In the book of Revelation, you have a certain cult and its false doctrines were denounced as that of the Nicolaitan. In Greek, the word means to conquer the people. The references to Nicolaitans in Revelation 2 probably refer to the trend that gave pastors too much power. said so often, Men often will take a church or ministry or, and, and they use the ministry, they use the church to build their own ministry. And so after a few years, when that dries up, they'll go on to another place. And because of that, um, the, the, the Barna group did a survey that said that the average stay of a pastor is less than three years. And it's because of trying to conquer the people. They began as shepherds, but maybe, but then they deteriorated into being lords over God's heritage. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he discusses that. Maybe they were originally brothers who served as overseers for Christ, but they became priests who held the souls of the members hostage to the whims and the decrees that they may have. So the Nicolaitans was... And still is a terrible heresy which God hates. Revelation 2 and verse 6 and verse 15. So the pastor doesn't run the church. Neither do the deacons. There are certain churches where the deacons do. They call them a board of deacons. Deacons don't run the church. Deacons have no authority over the church whatsoever except what the congregation delegates. You see if the deacons ran the church we would have an oligarchy. That means run by a few. But the deacons don't run the church. They're servants of the church. That's what the word deacon means. It means servant. They've been set aside by the church to help serve the pastor and the needs of the congregation and provide for the needs of the congregation. But the pastor doesn't run the church and the deacons don't run the church. Well, that leaves us with the people. There are churches and there's denominations that are run, the churches are run by the people. If the people ran the church, that would be called what? (laughs) Chaos. (laughs) It's a democracy. For some reason, writers and preachers who should know better have said for many years in one way or another that New Testament churches run pretty much as a pure democracy. But that's not what you find in the Bible. Have you ever heard a congregation Uh, I heard congregational church government described that way. I have. Dr. Childs can tell you many who really believe that. But hardly anything could be further from the truth. And confusion on this point has got many a church off track and it's hindered the cause of Christ around the world. The English word democracy comes from two Greek words that together it means the rule of the people. A democratic government is one in which the people rule. Very few civil governments that have operated have done so by pure democracy. In the United States, the executives serving in various levels of government, as well as the lawmakers and some judges, they're elected by votes of the citizens. But the Bible actually seems to address the concept of popular rule in the churches, but it never endorses it. In Revelation 3, we find the church of the layout of sin's. And they were lukewarm. We saw in Revelation 2, God condemned the monarchy, that of the Nicolaitan concept of the man, the pastor ruling. But in Revelation 3, God condemns the Laodicean means of controlling, and that is the rights of the people. That's what Laodicean means. So neither the Nicolaitan way in Revelation 2 or the Laodicean way In Revelation 3 is right for the church. The members ought neither to be conquered nor given rule. See, God's way is different than man's. And let me say this, God's way is always better. Remember Paul's address to the pastors in Ephesians, uh, of the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 20? Paul gave important insights into how the church of Jesus Christ is to be run. His few words in verse 28, I think, draws a clear picture of the proper flow and authority and responsibility in the local church. Acts 20, verse 28 is the verse. Take heed, therefore, referring to the pastors, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. See, remember the church again is not ruled by one. That's a monarchy. It's not ruled by many, which would be an oligarchy. And it's not ruled by the people, which would be a democracy. So what is the church? The church is a Christocracy. It's a Christocracy. You see, Jesus runs the church. He's the source of church leadership. He's the Lord, we're the servants. And what we have to do as a pastor, as deacons, as people, is that we are to seek the Lord. We prayerfully determine which way Jesus is going and what Jesus wants us to do, and we get in step with Jesus. So with that in mind, let me give you the way this would look. Christ is the president. Jesus Christ, we might say, is the president of the company, president of the called-out assembly, the church, according to the word of God, he's the head of the church body. Ephesians 1, 19 through through23. He's the bridegroom. Um, he's the husband of the church as his bride. Ephesians 5:25 through 27. He's the Lord of the church as his temple. Ephesians 2:19 through22. First Corinthians 3: 16 through17. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the verse we read a little bit a moment ago that I quoted, says that he's the owner, he purchased it with his own blood. And as the owner and president of the church, he has the right to do with it, with it whatever he wants to do in any way he wants to do it. See, church members must never forget that Christ is the head. He is the monarch. He's the boss of his own church. That's why it is a big deal when we say the authority is the Bible because it's what the head, the boss, the president, the Lord has to say. Nobody has a right to usurp his absolute authority over the affairs of the church. Whatever he says should be done. It should be done. 1 Timothy 3:15 Paul tells young Timothy that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God which is the ground uh, which, which is the church of the living God the pillar and ground of the truth. See the mission statement of the church is the great commission. The method of maintaining peace and purity in the church is clearly stated in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is is promoting peace and unity. If somebody's offended you, you're offended by somebody, he says you need to go to them. If you've offended somebody, you need to go to them. In other words, he's saying the mission is all about the Great Commission. The method of maintaining peace and purity is how we're going to stay on target because this isn't our country club, it's his church. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ tells us how his church is to be run. Christ church has no right to invent its own mission, to create its own system of operation or set our own policies and standards. No, Jesus is the owner. He's the president. He's the head of the organization. And everything that must be done must pass the pleasing God system. So Jesus is the president. According to the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the executive vice president. The Holy Spirit is in charge of operations in the absence of the president. That's what Jesus taught in the upper room, John 14, 15, 16. Of course, the head of the church is away on business. he's gone to prepare a place for us. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. But he has sent the Holy Spirit, another of the exact same kind he described, to administer the church in his place, John 14, verses 12 through 18. The Spirit was recognized as the administrator of the church in Jerusalem, according to Acts chapter number 5. Regarding the hypocrite, remember Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the preacher. But Peter said, you didn't lie to me, though they did. But Peter says the big deal is you lied to the administrator of the church, the Holy Spirit. Because of that, God killed them both. In Acts 15, verses 23 through 29, the Spirit is credited with being the one who directed a very important decision made by the congregation. And one of the reasons the Spirit was sent is to lead the church in the absence of the body, the personal, physical body of Jesus. The truth is that because Christ and the Spirit are both persons of the blessed Trinity, Having the Spirit of God with us is the same as having the physical person of Christ dwelling among us, directing us, telling us what He would have us to do. The congregation, we must look to the Holy Spirit for guidance, for power, for wisdom, for faith, for unity, for leadership and strength. Churches grow and they multiply through the Acts 9 verse 31 says, the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Again in Acts 20 verse 28, it was the Holy Spirit... As the one who appointed pastors of the churches, it was the Holy Spirit who does that. Well, a lot of people have announced their call to ministry and they're launching into ministry because the Holy Spirit told them. He's not the executive vice president of you, he's the executive vice president of the sending agency of ministry, the church. That's why you don't get ordained by a camp or a college or a mission board. The ordination comes from a church. See, some churches are looking for a new pastor, and they'll pass around questionnaires to members asking what kind of pastor they want. We have our own version of American Idol in our churches, but really the congregation doesn't have a right to decide what kind of man they will have as the under-shepherd. The Holy Spirit's job is to determine that. So pulpit committee should be made up of like the one that Canaan has had and and that is praying men. The whole church should seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit and search for a pastor. He's the one who chose the pastors at Ephesus, the Holy Spirit. You'll see the wording. You'll find Paul talk about it was good to the Holy Spirit that this one was called. It was good to the Holy Spirit. He was saying the Holy Spirit's the one who determined that. So Jesus is the president. The Holy Spirit is the executive vice president. But then there's a superintendent and that's the pastor. The address of Paul in Acts 20 verse 17 was given to the elders. Elders is another term for Pastor. Pastors given several different synonymous terms emphasizing a different role. Elder is one of those, but in verse 28, the pastor, the same individual is called overseer. Elders are overseers who are also the pastor of the church. In 1 Peter chapter 5, pastors are to take oversight of the flock, the church, and to feed. That is the pastors to do so. Sometimes the Bible uses the word bishop, and thanks to Luigi, that's been on the parking spot out there for a year, and uh, we're changing. There's there's like five different titles for a pastor. We may just go through all five titles, and uh, we might go out, go with elder, but bishop uh, Bishop Billy rang better, but but we're, we're going to put pastor back on there for a while, and uh, but it, it's it, it's they're all found in the Bible, emphasizing a different role of the pastor. The word bishop is used, and it's, it's another term for overseeing. Elder, bishop, pastor describes the same office. Amen. See, God works in a church through a man, and there's no question about that if you read your New Testament. It's also beyond question that God has called me to be the pastor of Canaan Baptist Church. I know that. I'm responsible, and I don't take votes of confidence and, because that's, it doesn't make any difference. There are constitution, there's a way in which a church goes about, Canaan Baptist goes about getting a pastor and can go about dismissing a pastor. But I'm not here based upon the likes or the dislikes of the people. I recognize there's one president, there's the executive vice president, and that is Jesus and the spirit of God. And it's my responsibility who is to function as a superintendent, as a pastor, as a bishop, as an elder, as an overseer, not to lord over, but there is to take an oversight so that there is a feeding of the flock of God, not my flock. And I try to be so very careful to ever say anywhere that I am, my church, because it's not my church, it's his church. I'm your spiritual leader in this visible congregation of believers. And as a pastor, I'm given this office by the Holy Spirit who leads me in how the church is to be run. So Jesus is the president. The Holy Spirit is the executive vice president in charge during the absence of the president. And the pastor and pastors of local churches are superintendents. They're overseers. They're bishops. They're appointed by the Holy Spirit to exercise leadership. At his direction. The work of the pastor involves both ruling and teaching. Jesus is the only rightful ruler of his own church. It's not the pastor of any member of the congregation, it, it, it's, it's not the, the pastor or member of, of any one of the congregation or any group of members, or any appointed section of the church. It belongs to Jesus. He's the boss. He runs things by His Holy Spirit according to His divine authority. And without dispute, Spirit-appointed pastors have authority in the church. Hebrews 13, verse 17, 1 Peter 5, and verse 5. But the obedience given by the flock is to be voluntary. The Bible says of my children, Ephesians 6, they are to obey. They don't even have to think about it. They don't have to pray about it. God says they are to obey. Hebrews 13 says to obey them that have the rule over you, but it's a different weight. There the writer says, think it over. Listen to what what he says. Hear from the word of God and then by faith follow. It's a voluntary, it's a consenting obedience rather than submission of a servant to a master as a child to a parent. The word obey is significant because God is saying this is how you find blessing in your life. The pastor's authority is based on the word of God and the work of the Spirit. As a pastor, I am to rule by the consent of the family of God. But I rule... Based upon the authority of the Holy Spirit, I have to give an account to him. I'm not free to do what I want. If the pastor seeks to direct the church contrary to the will of God and the will of the Bible, he should be replaced. Because this is God's church. God's plan. How could you tell if Pastor Ingram becomes a wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, wolves are uncovered by comparing The teaching and the words to God's Word. Paul said that heretical teachers, grievous wolves, would rise up among the elders at the Ephesian church after his departure. He told about that in Acts 20, verse 29 and 30. How could you tell? Well, Paul was saying, look at what they teach. If it's contrary to the Bible, then you can tell, well, that's not Bible. How do you know when a pastor should be replaced when he's no longer blameless? If there's a disqualifying in the area of morals, in that arena, as he describes in 1 Timothy 3. But it's the Holy Spirit's way of dealing with his church. Power struggles, however, are never the plan of God for the church. God owns it. He has all power. There should be no struggle over who else has that authority and power. What about when major decisions must be made? When the body has to make a decision together, the authority, responsibility, and structure, we see that in Acts 20, verse 28. Again, it still answers that same question. There is one who's placed over the local body of disciples, and we look to the Holy Spirit and leadership, and I will talk with deacons, and, and we begin to, to work through understanding and discerning the mind of God in this, and then we bring it to the congregation to get the congregation's input where it's needed. The whole idea is that God owns the church. Every denomination has a name because it reflects not only their doctrine, but their polity and how the church is run. And so we say as a Baptist church, we're not a denomination. Baptist just means we believe the Bible. And God is the one who established this in Matthew 16 and we keep looking to the lord's clarity and has been we've been doing so for the last 2000 years it's god's church it's god's plan he's the owner he's the head he's the husband he's the lord now the question is what are you going to do about it you're going to cooperate with God's wonderful institution called the church or you're going to go contrary. Just as many have a way in which they believe they can get to heaven, there are many others who believe in a way in which they can navigate their Christian life. Many different ministries. But nothing, I believe, is of greater value to your life personally and the blessings of God upon you than you being in the place that pleases Him in 1 Corinthians 12 and the body, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful to be a part of that which Jesus built and is building. God wants to display His work of love in your life. He'll do it through the church. God wants to display His power, the gospel. He'll do it through the church. God wants to show you the great, mighty things which we know not. He'll do it through the church, the equipping process. Well, I just don't know if I would do it the way pastor does it. You probably wouldn't. A lot of times people think as a pastor, you get to do everything you want to do. But we don't. I do not do what I want to do. I had this discussion this past week with a few pastors and we talked about that. If, if uh, Sam Davison, who will be here for a revival meeting, if he pastored Canaan Baptist Church, he would not do the very thing that he did at Southwest Baptist Church. If I were to pastor a different church, I wouldn't do the same thing because we meet the church where it is. We don't do what we'd want to do. If I did what I'd want to do. We'd have a, an espresso bar on every corner of this lot. I don't do what I want to do. We do what God wants to be done. Oh, my philosophy doesn't change. My methodology doesn't change. But, but we meet we meet people where they are. Marriage is the same. I do, I do, we did, and... But yet every married couple that walks in, sits down, we've got to meet where they are. And there's some practical thing. Husbands love the wife, wife submit to the church. Well, that's a given. We got that. But what about the daily? Well, then we've got to get down to the nitty gritty, to the minutia of what's going on. And we meet each person where they are. A young person comes in and says, I want to know what to do with my life. A 94-year-old comes in, says, I want to know what to do with my life. And this answer can be the same. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. But you get down to... To the minutiae of it and there's some practical applications so we're not just doing what we want to do we meet the church where it is here's where the where the church is here's what we do know and God's the owner of it. He's the head, he's the husband he's the Lord and we're to seek him for what he wants to wants accomplished here and I'm so very thankful he has the answers. He's God I'm not. let's worship him as such. let's stand together please.